Darkcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Today's case contains graphic details of murder, sexual assault, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the CTN Breakdown. Tonight, we conclude our series on Israel Keys, the monster in our midst. Welcome, nerdlings, to the final breakdown on our series on Alaska serial killer Israel Keys. Tonight, we're going to break down last week's episode on the final outcome of the case against Israel Keys. Yeah, so we're going to tackle Keyes' final acts and also our own theories on the case. We're going to kind of break down the M.O. of Israel Keyes for one final time. Well, maybe one last time. We we do want to do a quick little bonus episode, um, hopefully later this week or next week, to release just a kind of summing up some of the extra additional research that we found along the way that we didn't really put in the episodes, but we kind of found interesting. So things like tips, you know. Um, some stuff from the FOIA, stuff like that. So just uh, a, a quick little, you know, bonus episode for everyone if you're interested. But we're going to try and get that out in the next next week or so. But um, yeah, so that was one thing we wanted to do. But uh, before we continue on the breakdown, we are going to play just a quick little promo for a fantastic podcast that we are both huge fans of. So we are going to play that real quick for you all as well. 911, what's the nature of your emergency? Your world can change in the blink of an eye. He walked into the bedroom and you know that she had been murdered. So he's running up and down, screaming, Oh my God, someone called 911. There are two men killing a girl. I know my son, and he would not go that long without saying anything to anyone. Safety can be an illusion, and reality a nightmare. So how do you steal a person, a grown person? Unspeakable crimes can penetrate any small town, big family, pretty face, or innocent child. And in the wake of a loved one's murder or disappearance, there is nothing more cruel or desperate as silence. Why won't people talk about it? That's another thing. People don't want to talk about it around here. For the families of the missing and murdered, they gambled with their sanity as they lose hope in closure and settle for justice. That's where the cold case playing cards come in. In each episode of the Dealing Justice podcast, your hosts Jennifer Dubasek and Lori Jennings will spotlight one card from the cold case playing card deck. Hear the victim's story from the friends and family who knew them best. Her mom will never stop fighting until she finds out what happens to her daughter. Learn about the crime and help close the case. Welcome to season two. We're not just playing cards, we're dealing justice. All right, nerdlings, after listening to that fantastic promo, we are going to go into the breakdown. So some things that we found out in regards to Israel Keys' arrest were that investigators actually found a DVD case that had an SD card from Samantha's phone. And when questioned about why he had the items from Samantha, Keys lied. Surprise, surprise. Right. About how he got the debit card and the phone and that they were actually left in his truck by someone he didn't know. That's the, yeah, that is probably the lamest excuse possible out there for 
for this, for this one. I'm, you know, it, it is shocking because you're just like, how, how is that the most logical thing that you can come up with to explain why you have the identification of a murder victim from thousands of miles away in Alaska? You've got an Alaskan driver's license. Are you saying somebody literally followed you from Alaska and put that in your car? Are you saying they found you there and you didn't see it until now? Like it's been weeks. It's just how was that the most logical explanation he could come up with for why he had Samantha's items? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And it just goes to show that clearly he didn't know that he was being tracked or that he mm. – it, it didn't even come across to him that he might possibly get caught. Definitely. I would 100% agree with you on that, that you could just tell his ego had never allowed him to even entertain the idea that he could be possibly one day caught and, and imprisoned for his crimes. He never – it never crossed his mind. So he never came up with excuses or reasonings for what he was doing or his actions or why he would have things, which mm -hmm. is interesting because you would think that most criminal masterminds or criminal criminals in general would be thinking about having a excuse as to what they're doing or why they have certain things or where they're at. You know, I feel like when you're up to something, you typically – think about the repercussions and you're like, oh, if I get caught, I should say this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting that he never even had that backup plan. And another big red flag for investigators was that Keys would not allow them to check his wallet when he was pulled over. Mm. And obviously when you get pulled over, police ask you to provide them with a license or you have, you normally have to pull out your wallet and right. he just would not, he didn't want the investigators to even look for his wallet. Huh. Um, he then began to sweat profusely and act suspicious. Right. It's so, so interesting that he, he didn't want them. Like the, the fact that he's not wanting to give them his wallet is so obvious. And to the investigators at that point, that something's going on. Like, the best thing he could have done was comply. That would feel seem less guilty in that respect. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting that his his instinct was not to comply and instead draw more attention to himself by not giving them his wallet. Yeah, and investigators also pointed out that it wasn't that hot hot that mm. day, and um, Israel Keys was actually wearing a tank top. So that's something that also kind of stood out to them that he was all of a sudden sweating profusely. Mm. For somebody who's gone under the radar for so long, I mean, 14 years, he was never, ever suspected. But it's it's interesting that the minute he is pulled over, he just breaks. Everything he had hidden for 14 years, he has fooled all of these people in his life. But for five minutes, he could not keep it together long enough to get himself out of that situation. It's it's an interesting aspect there of his personality. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It, it just... He was kind of just in a put in a corner, you know, and just mm -hmm. didn't know how to react. Like it's the same kind of thing. Like he couldn't – the minute he's pulled over, he just – he crumbles. He's not able to actually – he's not actually able to keep it together to enough to, to get out of there, so. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think once he is arrested and brought in, he kind of complies with investigators more mm -hmm. because he actually told investigators that – they would find a lot of evidence against him on his laptop. Mm -hmm. So I think by that at, point, he knew he had to start complying. Yeah, yeah. And 
in the FOIA, it was stated that at many points, Keyes had planned to destroy the laptop due to the possible incriminating incriminating evidence on there. But he just never got around to it because, like we mentioned before, he probably was like, oh, I've been doing this for 14 years. There's no way they're going to catch me out. That's an ego, man. He never mm-hmm. thought it was he never thought it was possible. Yeah, and that laptop is what would allow investigators to narrow down some of the possible victims of Israel Keys, mm. as Keys had often searched out victims of his crimes to see where the cases were at. So we kind of saw that with the couriers. Keys mm-hmm. was kind of tracking the media. Right. Right. That's how he was keeping tabs on them. I think that's yeah. how they were able to put together the location for for the potential victim of De- or for Deborah Feldman being a possible victim, but he mm-hmm. had spelled her name wrong is what they they determined, and that's why that um, that's why there wasn't able they weren't ever to I think able to officially link her to Keys was because he had spelled her name wrong. Yeah, and so I think that's why there hasn't been a lot of information released about potential victims. There really hasn't been outside of the. The four known victims, they haven't really released the other eight so or the other um, seven victims. I suspect that that's a lot of it is that it's on his laptop and it's probably still – they're probably still investigating, honestly. Yeah, and I'm sure he had a bunch of mm-hmm. things to throw off investigators sure. to be like, yeah. hey, in case they find this. Right. And I think the other thing too is, is why would – you know, I guess my question would be too – why would you keep it? Like, you know that there's a chance you're going to get caught. Why keep something so incriminating and not get rid of it? Like, why? I, I feel like it would have been, should have been a top priority for him to get rid of his laptop, but he doesn't. Is it like a yeah. a trophy? You know, is that part of it? Part of the ritual for him? Yeah, I kind of, that's kind of what I think is it's kind mm-hmm. of a trophy for him. And he's, I hate to say it, but proud of all the things yeah. that he has on the laptop. He's so, not willing to let go. I think they're his memories of what he's done in a disgusting way. But still, that's I think that's the way it's interpreted. Yeah, because investigators also haven't released much about the laptop. Mm-mm. So they could have found other things that they're just oh, not yeah. releasing. A lot of that, I think, was redacted in the FOIA. So that that's very I, – I would 100% agree with that. I, I don't mm-hmm. think we'll see – it's been 10 years and I don't think we'll see that anytime soon. Not until they have actual names and of the victims. I think once once they're ever, if hopefully, if they're ever able to connect all of the victims, I think at that point all of the evidence might come out, but probably not until then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to kind of scoot along to other crimes that Israel had confessed mm. to investigators. So he actually admitted to committing a robbery in Azel, Texas. On February 16th, 2012, which actually was only two weeks after the murder of Samantha, and he hadn't even disposed of her body yet at this point in time when he committed the robbery. So, yeah, it's, it's, he's just, just seems like he can't stop, you know? Yeah. If he's not gonna abduct somebody and murder them, he has to do something else to scratch Mm -hmm. that itch. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's interesting because he's not, I don't like to say that he's not just, but he, it's not just killing for him. It is also this other piece of it. It's almost like there's there's this – he's a thrill seeker. He has to do something to kind of like spit in the face of authority. Whatever it mm-hmm. is, he just cannot seem to go lengths of time without doing whether it's a robbery, a murder, what have you. He has to do something. So Keyes would also commit to, to robbery and arson 
in Alito, Texas, that very same day, February 16th, 2012. And the interesting fact about this is that he also took jewelry from the home and then set the home on fire. And it's also noted in the FOIA that he had taken jewelry from Lorraine Courier. So I know we kind of dabbled in this before, but it seems like this is a, a like a trophy for him, like mm-hmm. the jewelry, it yeah, seems. seems like he tends to typically take – well, it's almost like – I didn't notice if he had taken any – I didn't ever notice – or I don't think it was ever called out if he had taken um, any jewelry from Samantha. She was working that day though and I know like she was in food service so she may not have been wearing any, which that would account – I remember last time you had mentioned – it was interesting to you that he had taken her makeup. Maybe that's mm-hmm. to replace that that piece, but it does seem like he typically takes jewelry from the women. I haven't seen where he was taking anything from the men, as far as I can tell. At least as far mm-hmm. as we know, according to the FOIA. I haven't noticed where anything from them was really missing. It seems to be the women's jewelry. Yeah, now that you point that out, I yeah, I haven't really seen much Mm-mm. so far. I mean, the only male that we know of is Bill Courier, and right. I don't know what he took if he took anything from him. Yeah. So I didn't remember seeing anything, but it's very possible or it has never been released, which is also possible. Yeah. So move, moving forth, um, he's also admitted to committing the Tupper Lake bank robbery on April 10th of 2009. Mm. And this is actually the trip where it is thought that he abducted Deborah Feldman and that he had the cash she would later use to murder Bill and Lorraine Courier with. Mm. So that's where the kill kit would have been placed. Mm-hmm. was on that and, trip. Yeah, that's what we thought. And this is actually, if you went to our Instagram, I had posted a picture of mm. of the video surveillance of the yeah. person that did this robbery because investigators didn't know it was Keys. Um, right. He actually had a disguise on. I mean, knowing now what we know, looking mm. at it, it's like, oh, that's so eerie. It, it does look like him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just wearing, I think he's wearing sunglasses and he's got yeah. like a goatee or whatnot. That's what um, I thought. It, that was the one with the goatee. Yeah. It's, it's very spooky to look at that picture now and know that that was Keys. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He's also admitted to several different homicides in the last 14 years. He described two murders in the state of Washington and a murder from the East Coast where he buried the body in New York. And law enforcement is still investigating that information. Mm-hmm. So we know the New York, it's assumed that or the, um, yeah, the East Coast victim with their body placed in or buried in New York is probably Deborah Feldman. Mm-hmm. So the ones that are unknown are the two murders in the state of Washington and any other additional ones outside of the Couriers and Samantha. So that leaves a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've mentioned before, Nat, that it seems like he's is attracted to water. Yeah. And it's actually noted several times in the FOIA that he went on boats a lot and actually had a boat of his own. Mm. And there was a there was a couple tips called in for the FOIA that actually that Keys had pulled like ripped up the carpet from mm. one of his boats and replaced it, which yeah. is really suspicious. Um right. that really stood out to me. I don't know about you, Nat. Oh, yeah. I mean, why? I mean, yes, it was probably an older boat, but if you're thinking of this from a more criminalistic behavior point of view, then the only reason that Keyes was more than likely redoing the carpeting in the boat was because there was blood evidence on there, which we saw him do that same behavior when he murdered Samantha in the shed. So it does kind of track that 
it, when he it seems like when he's doing these uh, renovations, quote unquote, uh, it's because of of alternative reasons because he's more than likely has evidence in that boat that he's or in those locations that he's concerned about investigators ever having. Yeah, exactly. That's that's I was going to mention also the the cabinet and the the floor mm-hmm. ripping up w- so uh, with Samantha in the behavior. shed. Because also, he's a construction slash handyman, right. so right. no one's going to think does. twice. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all know these men in our lives who do that, and them puttering around or redoing something doesn't even – I wouldn't even think twice about it. Yeah, and also something that stood out, too, was that Keyes actually had told the investigators that the anchors on the boat may have evidence on them. Oof. So that's another thing. It's like, was he just trying to get them off track and tell them right. that? Or is that is that true? Oh, yeah. I don't want to even dwell, delve into what that would mean. We're going to just chat about um, after Keyes has been arrested and after he begins speaking with investigators about his crimes, Keyes starts to have to actually face some consequences for his actions. So Keyes actually ends up trying to escape, and we kind of went into that in the episode a little bit more, where he manages to literally just see a situation in a courtroom and take advantage of it. And he literally does it blatantly in front of a room full of cops and guards and what have you. He gets his shackles off and they have to tase him in order to get him to not keep trying to run, which is insane. That he was just, I don't know what he was thinking, that he thought he would be able to just up and escape right from, you know, the courtroom right then and there. Yeah, it just goes to show that he has, like, a one-track mind, and it's mm. it's almost kind of, like, not really protect yourself at all costs, but he is trying to save his own butt, you know, and right. just beeline it out of there, which is impossible. That's crazy. Right. Like, he's, why? he's clearly not thinking clearly. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, like, a lack of the, of impulse control with him at this point, and it almost, like, lends itself to that, that where we were saying previously that you can see where he's escalating. This situation almost lends itself to that, where you can almost see it's like that desperation that he has, that it's like, okay, I'm just going to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that kept coming up to throughout the, the investigation was that Keyes was, made it very clear that he was frustrated with where his case was at, and he wasn't getting what kind of, he just wasn't really getting his way or able to control the situation in the way that he wanted to. And it really lends itself to just proving how much of a control freak he was and how much he – everything he did, whether it was his robberies, his arsons, his murders, everything he did, he had to be in control of. He was not able to ever relinquish control or just allow the chips to fall where they would. He wanted to always like micromanage every piece of his life, if that makes sense. Yeah, and we saw that in the interrogations, right? Like when – Mm-hmm. When he was like, "Oh, I'll give you this information, but I need a Snickers bar, I need a cigar, I need and you know things. what? I need an Americano." Yeah, yeah like you're gonna work. For, you're gonna give me something for this, mm-hmm. which is very much that control freak because he knows that he has information that they need and that they want, and he realizes that he's got the upper hand in this situation. He knows that they're gonna play ball with him. He knows that they want that information, so you can see that he's really. Frustrated when it gets to when he gets stonewalled on situations where he doesn't get to have his way or he can't easily manipulate the situation. He almost becomes a, a child in that behavior that he kind of throws it back in investigators' faces and he kind of whines and constantly is harping about 
how they promised him things and it didn't work out. It's it's almost as if he doesn't recognize that he's committed serious human atrocities and he doesn't get those courtesies at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just an interesting behavior that he has. It kind of almost lends itself into that the the suicide note too that he left. It really does kind of show you that type of personality that he had. It was always about him. He it's always about him with with keys. He doesn't see others as important or their needs are never going to come before his own. Mm-hmm. So kind of moving along and, and and speaking of the suicide note, Ash and I wanted to kind of dissect that a little bit more, um, not too, too much because it is pretty dark, but we did want to talk about a couple key phrases that we both picked up on and had our own thoughts on more theories than anything. Again, there's really no, no one knows that. From what investigators said, the note did not seem to actually have pertinent information about specific victims or identify any as of right now that's known. So I just kind of want to clarify that so that everything we are saying is purely theoretical at that point. So one of the phrases that really caught my attention was the – it's kind of early on in the note, but he says, Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back, black meat rows. Off to the right, a graveyard appears, lines of stones – Bodies molder below. Turn away quick, bob your head to the seat. A straight through the stop sign you roll. Loaded truck with lights off slams into you broadside. Your flesh smashed as metal explodes. So the reason I wanted to call out that that phrase is that to me, it almost seems like he's talking about himself in this one. Like that one phrase, I think he's talking about like going on the prowl. That's how it reads to me. It's like he's talking about what he's seeing. You know, he mentioned many times throughout the case that he liked to go prowl through graveyards or out in the woods and in the wilderness, driving, things like that. To me, it almost feels like he's kind of calling out an, a situation where he is on the on the prowl. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, one thing that stands out to me is when you said, as straight through the stop sign you roll, loaded truck with lights off, slams into you broadside. Mm. Um, for me, that kind of seems like when he got caught. You know, he. Oh, yeah, could be. It kind of just slammed right into him. He was not expecting it. Oh, yeah, your flesh smashed as metal explodes. Yeah, I mean, his whole life explodes at that point. That's that. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of that. That's a very good point. Um, another point in this in this note that kind of stood out to me. Mm. Um, I'll I'll read it right now. It's soon now you'll lose those ranks of dead, or your ashes. The wind will soon blow. Family and friends will shed a few tears. Pretend it's off to heaven you go. But the reality is you were just bones and meat, and with your brain died also your soul. So this little blurb here kind of, I don't know, for me it it kind of speaks, I feel like, like you said before, Nat, he's kind of talking about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, the same. Because it's a suicide note, um, right. and he's kind of saying like, yeah, my family and friends will shed a few tears. Um, and pretend it's off to heaven you go. Right. Because clearly the 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 sins that Israel committed, he would not be allowed into heaven. You know what I mean? Right. Um, if you're looking at this aspect. at a religious standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so his family and friends, because they didn't see the, the bad side of Israel, obviously. They saw the good right. side because they were his family and his friends. Um, so they want to pretend it's off to heaven he's going. And then he said, but the reality is you were just meat and bones. And your brain died, also your soul. So that kind of speaks, like I said, to the suicide note 
Um, he's kind of just stating, like, I'm just bones and meat. Like, that's all I was. And now well, I'm gone. Yeah. And that actually makes sense because it's very clear throughout the whole – any or all of the information about Israel Keys. He was an atheist. That he was – and he was a vehement atheist. I mean, to the point of being even a Satanist. He had taken it to that to that level of wanting to just kind of spit in the face of religion, especially because he came from a very religious background. I find it very interesting that he's just kind of like blase about it. He's like, yeah, I don't believe in that. You know what? Even in this, I'm going to say it. I'm just I'm just going to, you know, be put in the ground and I'm just going to decay. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing else for me. It, it almost seems like he's just kind of saying, yep, nope, there isn't anything else out there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like speaking about his childhood a little bit too. One of the <laughs> phrases in here that kind of caught my attention, he says it quite a bit, but he mentions land of the free, land of the lie. Land of the scheme, Americanize. He kind of uses this term Americanize a lot. And he kind of goes on with this rant about consume what you don't need, stars you idolize, pursue what you admit is a dream, then it's American die. To me, it seems like this is almost a little bit of a throwback to his kind of roots because his family, remember, was – what's the word for it? They, they were living off grid and they were kind of anti-government, anti all of that, you know, they were big weapons enthusiasts, things like that, a little bit of the more extreme belief cycle. To me, it's interesting that he kind of brings that into his end note. It almost seems like he's calling it out because it like shaped his life too a little bit. So I just thought that was interesting. You can definitely see his disdain for that type of, what is it? Those type of base human needs. Like you can just see that he doesn't really understand how to be human, what people care about or what people think about, you know, those things that they want, dreams, hopes, that kind of stuff. He's just kind of like so cynical about it all. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, The thing that stands out to me is consume what you don't need. So Mm. it kind of seems like he had, you know, he was all about himself, you know? Yeah. And growing up as he did, off-grid didn't seem like there was a lot of money. Right. So anything that they did consume, it was probably exactly what they needed. You know, it was just, like, things to get by. And a lot of the times in America, there are things that people are consuming that they don't need, you know? Sure, Like, it's just, like, buying clothes or, like, what have you, you know? and Cell phones and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, things that, like, you know, when I was younger, if I said I wanted something, my parents would be like, well, is that a want or is that a need? Right, right, absolutely. How many times do you have that debate with yourself as an adult too you're like oh i kind of want this but i don't need this yeah and i feel like this this segment of this note he's kind of just he's almost like he's mad at america or he Mm. kind of sees everybody in a bad light besides himself right it almost kind of yeah i would agree i think it kind of that's a really good call out there too because it kind of just shows his disdain for everybody else and humanity as a whole where he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm above you. I'm not one of you. I just see your sins. And I see that you are all these vermin who skitter about and care about your your base human needs and the things that you want. But I I see so much more, like if that makes sense. It's like how he sees himself. It's that ego where he's always outside of everybody else. He does not do that behavior. He does not play on his phone or, you know – care about superficial things like he seems to be saying like i'm i'm deeper than that even though mm-hmm. that's yeah absolutely not correct but that's just how he seems to be internalizing it so going forth in the note um something that stood out to me was this little segment 
Now that I have held you tight, I will tell you a story. Speak soft in your ear so you know that it's true. You're my love at first sight, and though you're scared to be near me, my words penetrate your thoughts, now an intimate prelude. I looked in your eyes, they were so dark, warm and trusting, as though you had not a worry or care. So this part of the note, it's it's tough because it's like, is he talking about a victim? Is he talking mm. about his first love? Right. Um, kind of like when he says, I looked in your eyes, they were so dark, warm, and trusting. It's almost like, he, it's almost like he's talking about somebody that clearly doesn't know who he really is. So that's kind of why I thought maybe it was it was a lover or a mm. past a past significant significant other. Also in that the same kind of segment, he says, "Your face framed in dark curls like a portrait. The sun mm. shone through highlights of red. What color, I wonder? And how straight it will turn, plastered black with the sweat of your blood." Ugh. So it, it kind of, like, he kind of goes through the, a little motion. Like, at first it sounds like he's talking about a lover, and then it kind of goes into, oh, may, maybe this was a victim. Mm -hmm. I think it's a victim, personally. I think what he's saying is is that he views the victims in the beginning more like, it, he almost it, it's almost like he's talking about the intimacy of murder. More in that, like, just like how he, it's it's about them and him and have about how much control he has over them. How mm -hmm. he lets them see what he wants them to see. He wants them to feel a certain way. He's wondering, how are you going to look after I do these actions? Like, to me, it seems like he's talking about a victim. Okay, like, I get what you're saying. Like, when he says, I looked in your eyes, they were dark, warm, and trusting, it's almost like mm -hmm. when he first sees the victim or when he... Mm -hmm. Yep, he's always like, talking say, about like, that love affair that he had, you know, when he's selecting his victim, where he's like... yeah. I am falling in love with you because he's he's viewing it as that. It's disgusting and, and what have you. We all know that. But in his view, this is a love affair. He is saying, I am claiming you for mine. You are now mine. We are going mm -hmm. to have this intimacy whether you want to have this or not. That's what he has decided. Again, it's that control freak thing. It's not about them. It's about him. Yeah, and it's almost like when he first sees this person, their dark, their eyes are dark, warm, and trusting, and then, mm -hmm. and then he goes on to kind of fantasize, like, oh, I wonder how straight right. will it turn, plastered back with the sweat of your blood. It's almost like he's like anticipating, like, oh, I wonder, like, how this is gonna, how this is gonna look, which is extremely creepy and horrifying. Yeah, I totally agree. I definitely think that the way Keys portrays himself and in the know and the way he's seeing his victims, it is absolutely about him possessing them. It is about him owning them. They have no freedom. They're his. There's another part where he says, I'll have you tied down and begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. So Ugh. yeah, it's definitely a victim. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a specific victim. I don't necessarily think it is. I think he's talking about the victims in general, how he views all of them. He all sees them as this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean, I go back and forth because I I almost wonder if he, if he kind of put all these together to kind of make investigators mm. wonder and look into it. Because, I mean, yep. if you look at the Zodiac Killer, investigators had to decipher that forever. Right? I mean, that just came out that they figured out what it said. Yeah. I mean, it's, what, 60 years later? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just wonder if Israel was kind of doing one last... Mm, I could see that. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. 
And we did actually find a psychologist's notes on on this the suicide mm. note. Um, actually, Dr. Phil Resnick, director of forensic psychiatry at University Hospitals Case Medical Center in Cleveland. He actually told ABC's, ABC News that he was looking into the writings, and he said, quote, He doesn't talk much about his own dilemmas of being in prison or why he's taking his own life. It's more of a final statement of contempt for the American style of life. And I think the other thing he emphasizes is his own superiority, that he has guile and can take advantage of people who are naive and trusting of him, unquote. Yeah, so that kind of ties in with what we were saying. It's, it's, I think it sounds like we all kind of have that same impression. It's not necessarily specific, but it's about how he internalizes this, how he feels about the situation or the things going on. Yeah. Or yeah, his definitely. needs, I should say, the, the, his observations, if you will. Mm-hmm. There's actually another forensic psychiatrist that looked into the note as well, uh, Stephen Montgomery. Uh, at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. Mm. He said, quote, he's writing this so that people will find it and talk about it and further magnify his own self-worth. And of course, it has no remorse, no regard for human life or the victims. And that fits with that type of psychopathic personality, unquote. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I really do. I think that's exactly what it is with, with Keyes. It's kind of what we were saying. He's selfish. He doesn't see anyone else as a person. It's about him mm-hmm. and him only, his needs, his wants, his desires. They're his toys. They're his puppets. And he definitely has no remorse for his actions. He feels no empathy. When he is in the interrogations in some of those videos, when he is talking about his murder victims, he laughs. He is jovial the whole time he is talking. It is unbelievable to see that lack of empathy, of just simple lack of human empathy. It, it is really unreal to watch. Yeah, those interrogation videos were definitely hard to sit yeah. through. Oof, those were rough. Those were really rough. But yeah, I, th- I think that's the impression he gives off too. It's not even an act with him. That is how he views everybody. They're all just potential victims. They're all about serving his needs and his wants. And Stephen Montgomery had also said that, quote, the butterflies and moths sort of evoke the silence of the lambs type killer, unquote. So it's almost like Keyes is like, oh, everybody's idolizing stars and whatnot. But yet again, he kind of seems to be his idols are Ted Bundy and mm. seems serial like serial killers. Yep. Yeah. And the Silence of the Lambs kind of had, according to Stephen Montgomery, it kind of seemed like this suicide note had a reflection of that as well. Mm. Yeah, I would go to say, too, I think the idea was that Hannibal Lecter in the Silence of the Lambs is so notable. And so what is the word for it? He is almost that charismatic, charming, intelligent view that everybody has of what a serial killer is, of course. And Keyes idolizes that. Keyes wants people to think that about him, to put him on that type of pedestal that in a sickening way. He thinks of, like Ash was saying, he thinks of the serial killers as his idols. So it's kind of interesting that he, he evokes that same or that same feeling that he almost wants to be portrayed that way. I had noticed that too. It caught my attention very early on when I read the note for the first time. The Butterflies and Moths reference definitely made me think of um, Buffalo Bill from from Silence of the Lambs, the serial killer in that. He has very much that same visualization that he's trying to evoke in that note that that comes from that. So I I Mm -hmm. thought that was really interesting too. It, It had stuck out with me for me as well. Yeah, definitely. 
So kind of continuing on, um, we're going to kind of now move past the su- suicide note a little bit, but we're going to talk about the events of the night and what happened. We're not going to go into too much details because we go over it pretty pretty detailed in the episode, but I think we wanted to talk a little bit more about the guards that were on duty that night when Keyes actually did kill himself and how that could have possibly even happened because Keyes was a max max security or prisoner. The fact that he was able to have access to a razor, which he should never have even been given, the fact that they weren't watching him like a hawk, which you would think that they should have been, why was he in a cell that wasn't really that was dimly lit to begin with? This is a Max Max serial killer. Why would he not have been in a cell that was well lit, well guarded, and videoed? Yeah, that oof, that just ugh, it just makes me so mad. Um yeah. The other thing is Israel Keys is known to watch people. You know, right. that's what he did for 14 years. He watched everybody. He watched what they were doing. So if the guards nuts. have yeah. the same routine, he's right, going he to pick up on that and figure out times where, okay, yeah. I have five minutes to do this before somebody comes back. Mm-hmm. Or, Which okay, they walk, they walk down this aisle at 9.50 p.m. So by the time they get to me, it'll be like 10 o'clock. Right. Absolutely. And the other thing, too, is it's like, he's, it wasn't that long ago that he just tried to escape. So he is wily. He is looking for outs. You would think that they would be watching him a little more closely. Why wasn't his cell tossed for more frequently? I mean, it was only a couple of weeks before that they had confiscated the the um, stack of fo- or the stack of papers that were the skulls where he had drawn in his own blood. All of the 11 victims, he had drawn, drawn the skulls with the, the cro- upside-down crosses on their heads. So they knew he was doing something because how would he have been able to draw those in blood weeks before without the razor? So they, they should have been tossing that cell way more than they were. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so hard to – because we're only human. Like humans make mistakes. Like, you know, sure. it's just it's just a really unfortunate situation because oh yeah there could have been so much Closer that would have for... stopped would have happened yeah um yeah it's just it's really unfortunate yeah cuz you know like i was saying it's it's the closure thing it's just sad because there's so many families out there who who need more i mean the bill and lorraine courier's families need their remains deborah feldman's family needs to know where her remains are the koenigs need to know why her you know like there's so much more to the story there are eight other seven other victims out there that don't have names right now so mm-hmm. that's the that's the hard part is that those actions would inept or those miscalculations those not watching you know the those little tiny things in that prison that added up to the events of that night with israel taking his own life it ended up having repercussions that we're still seeing to this day you know, it's 10 years later and we still don't have the names of the other victims. They're they're still out there. And remains have still not been found for several of the victims that we do know about. So uh, it, it's it's a it's a hard part. That's the hard part about yeah. the whole case, for sure. Yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's no one's fault, but it also is everyone's fault, if that makes sense. The, the prison yeah. should have been should have had better, better protocols in place. They also should never have taken him off of suicide watch. Yeah, it's. 
it's so unfortunate because, like you said, there's so many families that are just questioning, wondering, and right. it's it's if if he had if he was alive for who knows how right. much longer, he might have just crumbled and broken down and been like, okay, right. I'll tell you all of them. Right, like Bundy did you know? before he died. Yeah. So it's very possible. A lot of serial killers do when it comes to the end, you know, of death row. So, I mean, there was a chance. A chance. Now there isn't. Yep. So it's up to investigators to have to piece it all together for sure. So I have to ask, Ash, what are your final thoughts on the whole case? You know, we've done eight episodes now on Israel Keys. What are your theories? What are the things that you think happened or could have been potential reasonings for stuff or things we maybe hadn't hadn't looked at before yeah um that's tough (laughs) (laughs) um hmm i do i do think there is still a lot that investigators haven't released Mm -hmm. um which i i hope that is the case i hope that there's just so much information that they're still working on because i mean if they got a hold i think the big big thing is israel keys's boat um because Nat, you and I have talked throughout this whole thing, and it it's very clear that Israel Keys likes big bodies of water, and he's right. always in nature. He's all like when he went to Vermont, he went to the Winooski River. When he got rid of Samantha's remains, it was on a lake. Um, he's an ice fisherman. He's a fisherman. Like I, I think the boat has a lot of a lot of answers, and yeah, I don't know. It's I wonder because he's ripping out the cabinets, he's ripping up the carpet. I wonder if they have his tools in possession and they're like looking at the tools because I'm sure if there was any possible blood evidence, maybe they were on the tools for him taking out the cabinets and the carpet. Yeah, um, yeah, there would. Now that you asked me that question, I'm like, oh, man, it's kind of hard to to pinpoint exactly. But yeah, it was just just crazy. For 14 years. And like right. we said before, I often wonder, was it 11 victims or was it possibly more? Right. That's yeah. That's the huge question on my mind. I think the thing for me that I would I would probably call out is that the more and more we dove into the case, the more and more I realized that like Keys definitely does have some sort of MO. Um, it doesn't seem it at first. It seems like his victims are random and he doesn't really have a preference for his victim type, but he definitely has a ritual. And he is a creature of habit for sure. So he uh, aside from Samantha, which was one of the ones he broke his rule on, typically speaking, he goes to places that he's comfortable, which is in the wilderness. He goes to remote areas, small towns in Texas, you know, Oregon, Washington. These are places he called home. He knew these areas. So it's not that he was going all over and killing in random places. In, it was more in select places, I think, than than what people think before you dive into the case. I also think that there is a Personally, I think there's a, a bit of a satanic ritualistic side to this. I, I always wondered if Keyes was – in the beginning, Keyes mentioned his first victim, he, the one he did not kill. He had planned to do a ritualistic sacrifice, remember, with the knife? Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that that knife kind of comes up multiple times throughout this case, multiple times. Whether he used it or not, he was very hedgy about. And even in his final his final days – they confiscated those skulls, and the skulls had the upside-down cross. They had the sigil of Baphomet, which is a satanic symbol. I think Keyes had this very, I almost want to say, like, mainstream view of Satanism, and he wanted to, like, um, create his own little, like, satanic rituals and 
he was almost like, I don't know. It just to me, it seems like there's almost like this little bit of a, a, a I don't know, like ritualisticness to to his murders. I don't know if it's as straight. I, I think there's more to what he he did those nights with his victims than what he was saying. I think that there is definitely some type of religiousy, religious religiosity type of behavior, zealousness to his murders, which makes mm-hmm. sense because he came from such a religious background that it always is going to impact you and it's always going to mold you. It does almost make sense that in a way he channels that rage in through his his murders and is utilizing that and and a lot of the iconography maybe that helps to fuel his rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you actually had a little theory on the skulls, didn't you? Um, yes, I did. So the theory was kind of simple. I, I don't know. This is, again, all theoretical, folks, all theoretical. But um, I know one of the skulls said we are one. So there's 11 skulls. So that's why it's assumed it's 11 victims. Uh, the one that says we are one is the one that always stands out because it's the only one that has words on it at all. To me, that seems like it's talking about a couple. Like, he, I, that's just my thoughts. I think he's calling it, saying that we are one. I personally was thinking taking that as maybe the couriers. We are one as in one person because couples are often one person. And they really fought together the whole time. To me, it seems like he's saying, like, all right, this one, they're they're one murderer. They're not, they're not individuals. So then you're looking for an additional victim because it's it's not the right amount, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I after you told me that theory, I was like, whoa, my like whole brain exploded because I was like, wow, that like after hearing you talk about that and I feel like it it makes sense in my mind, but like like we said, these are just our theories. Um yep, purely theories, but it was to me it just seemed like it kinda I don't know, it just it caught my attention. The we are one thing. There's another thing too with the we are one. There's a couple different ones it could be. The other thing too is there's the a quote, um it's actually from the Bible, but it's uh, what is it? It's we are legion for we are many. I'm, I may have butchered the quote, but that was the other thing I thought of because he was into Satanism and kind of the, the the more darker aspects. And he was kind of from a more extremist religious background that tended to be more of the end of days type preachings. I wouldn't have surprised if that was part of it because there is that quote of like, we are one, we are many. It's like a reference to multiple demons and possessing a, a form. So that also would track to it, it just seemed a little weird to me. So I kind of take it as more of it's a victim than than anything. And I don't know why, because we do think he killed another couple, but so I don't know if it tracks fully that that would be correct. But that was just my thoughts is that maybe he's talking about a couple. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I do think there is a bit of a, a religious ritual to to what he was doing. I do think there's that. I think it's also why he would get really hedgy about answering questions about exactly what he had done, especially to his female victims. That's just my opinion, but that was kind of the impressions I got. It kind of caught my attention multiple times throughout this case. Yeah, I remember you also saying that as well, like that you noticed he would get like hedgy talking about. Yeah, he gets the females. he, He would get very weird. He would get weird about whether or not he had stabbed them, which I was very surprised by it because that, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense why he was. He was very talkative about everything else he did to them. So why is this like peace? Almost seems like he's trying to keep it for himself in a creepy, creepy way. But it just always caught my attention of how he talks about them. That it was like, Mm -hmm. huh, that's weird. I mean, I could almost see it because it's weird that he called out how much, like even in his suicide note, it's like this whole ode to darkness and just to me, it seems like he, like I said, he had that kind of like 
convoluted mainstream kind of idea of what like almost like a teenage approach of what satanism is it's not that um side note it's not um but it's almost like he had this like movie idea of what satanism was and was trying to like incorporate that darkness into his murders it almost seems like that to me a little bit yeah yeah i can definitely see that as well yeah so with everything said and done at this point information about the case trickles out every few years Last year, we had the FBI release the information regarding the skulls. Israel had drawn in his own blood, as well as the suicide note. Perhaps in the future, we will know more about where the case is currently at, as we know investigators are still searching for Keyes' other victims. So with that, nerdlings, we conclude our series on Israel Keys. We just want to thank each and every one of you for supporting the series each week and joining us to listen. It really just means a ton to us your support is amazing and your kindness you know it's always awesome that we can try new things and see if they work so just want to say thank you to all of you for for joining on us on this journey we will catch you next time you crime loving nerdlings and if you like this episode or any of our others we'd love for you to leave us a review on apple podcast you can check out crimetimenerds.com for connecting with us via our socials and for other show updates We will catch you next time, you crime-loving nerdlings.